the clearer you get, the more no's you can say, the closer you will get to a yes. And through my coaching practice right now, I'm working with a lot of people on job search projects. And it's really exciting when they start to shape the, their story more from possibility and intention than just reaction. My name is Isabel, and this is your Product Thinking Toolbox. Chloe Gottlieb is a renowned leader in the fields of leadership coaching and UX consulting. With over 20 years of experience in executive UX leadership and digital product design, Chloe has a unique approach to helping individuals and businesses reach their full potential. Her career since include the product design director of Google Shopping, and Chief Creative Officer at RGA, where she partnered with major brands such as Nike and Samsung to create innovative digital products and services. Today, she's going to talk to us about how to find your career path. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Chloe. Thank you so much, Isabel. So happy to be here. I want to kick it off with the fact that you are an excellent example, firstly, of career paths not being necessarily linear. To recap, you started your career with a bachelor's degree in international relations, and then you eventually found your way into UX design. So maybe give us a little rundown of how did you stumble upon UX design? Sure. I love a question that also contains an answer. And I really do believe that my career has been very nonlinear and I did stumble upon UX design. You know, I never set out to be a UX designer or design leader because when I was growing up and in college, it wasn't a career that I was exposed to. I don't even think was recognized as an official field until it was you know, coined a term in 1993. So you get a little, little sense of how long my career has been but yeah, I never set out to be a UX designer. I look at my career as a series of just following passion and curiosity and opportunity. And at the same time, when I look back, I do see that there were some threads that have run throughout that were very consistent. The first being a curiosity about people and human behavior, a passion for human potential and seeing the potential in every person and wondering how I could help them express that. The second being creativity. I always looked at the world from different angles and was enjoyed the feeling of, you know, moving into out of my comfort zone and into the unknown zones of creativity, was always inspired to work in creative places. And then the third was leadership. And I want to point out that I do believe leadership is different than management. Anyone can be a manager, but it takes the respect of your team to really be recognized as a leader. And the way that I always wanted to lead was to be a catalyst for other people's greatness. So seeing the greatness and bringing that out of them. So you could say I stumbled upon UX and yet at the same time, the curiosity, creativity and leadership potential was there from the time I was very small. When you say stumbled upon, was it an immediate, oh my goodness, this is what exactly, uh, this is exactly what I want? Or was this more of a, I see you, you said like a pattern, but has it evolved in years and years and years of experience? How do you know that that passion and curiosity in that specific field resonated with you and, and stuck? Well, as you mentioned, I, I set out, I had a, I had lived abroad in high school and college and I, loved language and people and 
cultural anthropology and I was studying political science and international relations. And I really had the ambition of being an ambassador. I wanted to live all over the world and work, you know, in different countries and potentially for the UN someday. And so I started my career as an international student advisor. And I was working at Parsons School of Design as an international student advisor out of college. It was one of my first jobs. And I started looking around, oh my goodness, what are these students doing? What is this design, you know, this design experience? And I started taking classes. I got I ended up getting a master's degree at the new school in media studies while working at Parsons. And I think it was love at first sight. It was everything that I didn't know I was looking for because the thing was, I was never an artist. I really was a designer. I love creativity, but I love creativity under the pressure of constraints, whether it be time, budget, business constraints. I really love where creativity meets business. And so that's when I found design, it was just absolutely, it lit me up. It was of my highest excitement to want to do that. And I don't know that I was the best designer, meaning, you know, I, I worked with the best, some of the best designers in the world, you know, people I worked with continue to lead design teams at some of the world's greatest design companies. And I wouldn't say like my actual wireframes or designs were the most beautiful, but I did have a knack for the strategy and working with teams and leading and helping teams make leaps and be brave in their creativity. And so I was always a coach without knowing that I wanted to be a coach. And so it's easy to look back at a career and say, oh, of course I was supposed to move into design. But I think when you're in the moment, and this is important for people out there that are kind of like, huh, I'm not sure what lights me up. You don't always know it in the moment. It's sometimes something that you see in retrospect. And the other thing I would like to say, because I have young daughters, when they start to think like, what will I do when I grow up? I often say to them, there will be opportunities and roles that you don't even know exist today. You know, my job wasn't something that my parents or my grandparents might have done because it wasn't even a field at that time. Google wasn't even a thing when <laughs> I was in college. So we, what we can do is love learning and, and follow our curiosity and learn, you know, great work habits and how to work with people and problem solve. Those things are always valuable. And then applying them to whatever, you know, opportunities present themselves is, is something that I think is maybe a better approach than being very specific about, I have to be this type of job at this type of company at this level. I was never so kind of, I think I was intentional about my career, but I was, I held it loosely. Like I held the goal and dreams loosely, meaning I was open to just following my curiosity through my career. So maybe a fun fact that I found out about you is that you are a yoga teacher. And mm-hmm. from what I see, Mm-hmm. You have had a lifelong practice in meditation as well, from what I hear. And mm-hmm. how have you translated your mindfulness practices into your work? Because you were kind of saying a little bit of that in terms of listening to your curiosity, but how does that look like? I love the detective work. Yeah, there's maybe something people don't know about me is how unique my background was. I actually grew up in a ashram a yoga community in upstate New York it's still there you people can go visit it and 
I was around people meditating and doing yoga from day one. And so it was always a part of my life. And, you know, when you're growing up in an upstate New York town, it's a little embarrassing to be different, but I do now see that it was a superpower and something that has given me so much in terms of my leadership. And what I would describe that is, is a sense of a still point or a center point. We all have them within us. Planets have them, people have them, that, that center of quiet and calm that I always go back to. So I have a daily practice every morning that I've been doing for as long as I remember. And the practice changes, but what is consistent is trying to wake up before the rest of my household when it's quiet and getting centered. For me, getting centered can mean doing some meditation. You know, the practices might change. For example, I'm really curious about Qigong right now and learning breath work, moving breath work. Sometimes it's dancing. But the point of that morning practice is to get really quiet and find my still point. And from there, I find that inner work helps me come to work with perspective and to be calm in the storm. And many people who have worked with me will say that the more chaotic and pressure-filled the work environment gets, the calmer they see me become. And I do credit that to my mindfulness practice. And the other thing I would say is that in the work of creativity and design, we really do have to stretch out of our comfort zones to get to innovative innovative solutions or new things. That's always in the unknown. And having a mindfulness practice allows us to observe the fear that comes along with stepping into the unknown and observing it and still moving forward into possibility, whether it's innovation and design or creative leaps in advertising or many of the different practices that I've been working in. So yeah, I think the lifelong meditation and mindfulness practice is probably the most valuable investment that I've made as a leader and practitioner. And it continues to evolve. And It's something that is free and accessible to everyone. I always say just even meditating five minutes a day, just putting on a timer and breathing, being becoming aware of your breath is hugely powerful and can be transformative. So it doesn't have to be sitting quietly for 40 minutes or for some people moving meditation, like running is a way for them to get into that state of flow. There's many different access points for mindfulness and I do definitely see the the connection between the inner work benefiting the outer work. How do you, because you mentioned trying to find time in not just work, in the chaos of work, but also in the chaos of family time as well. How do you find time for yourself? How do you prioritize that as well? And what do you think you would say to up and coming leaders or people that are leading teams right now in relation to that? I love the question. I, you know, it's funny, my daughters are 10 and 15. And what I did not expect is that they would need me so much more now that they're tween and teen than they did when they were little. So I've had to adjust my work recently to, to be able to really be more present with them because they just need mom around a lot more now. So I would say that at the end of the day, you know, for those of us who love work like myself and would love to work 24 hours a day, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
and there's power in the pause and there's power in slowing down. And I know it sounds counterintuitive that you feel that you need to run the race and go faster than everyone and do more than everyone. But actually what I've seen is the opposite, being thoughtful, slowing down, taking care of yourself, being with your family, doing the things that give you joy, even just taking space for creativity or the things that inspire you outside of work, all of those feed into the whole person at work. And our culture is not wired for that. We have this expectation that we all have to be running this race as fast as we can. But the thoughtfulness and the depth of an idea or something, doing a breakthrough in a company comes from deep work that takes, it's like, you know, the book Thinking Fast and Slow, the real breakthroughs in products and businesses don't come in a 15 minute meeting. They come from really thinking deeply about things. So it's, it's more, yeah, the marathon not a sprint is, is just one way to say, do what you need to so that you can be strong in your work and in yourself. Because it's really that whole person, that person who's lit up because they're living a life that, you know, is meaningful to them, that does the best work in a company. How has this practice of mindfulness, moving your body, meditation even, how has that helped you make better career decisions and judgments? And do you have a specific example of how it has translated to a specific work decision? I mean, I think, I think the, like many people may be listening to this podcast. I was one of the people that was part of the recent layoffs in tech from Google at the end of January. And the mindfulness practice was very helpful because layoffs can be very disorienting or being between jobs can be very disorienting. And I think like many people that I've talked to, because, you know, now in my coaching practice, I'm coaching and advising individuals and and companies. And what I've heard as common themes is just this loss of identity, you know, and I, and I felt it too. It's, we put so much care and time into our jobs and we, we care so deeply about our teams. And when that's taken away, whether voluntarily or involuntary, there's a sense of who am I? And I went through it too. Who am I, if not a leader in design, who am I, if not a UX, you know, practitioner. Well, I'm Chloe and there's value in just being beyond what, beyond what I do or what I make, or, you know, the products I launch or my badge, like there's value. And I think that is something that I've only been able to grasp because of the years and decades of meditation and sense of something beyond or bigger than myself. And I'm not saying it wasn't hard. And it, there, are, there are still days where I wa- I'm like, I kind of want to get dressed and like go to work. I'm like, where's my team? <laughs> and I miss my people. Like I miss definitely the people. And at the same time, I've made a huge leap to start my own business, which is something that I never thought I would do. I always thought I would work, you know, for the rest of my career as a person in a big company and keep climbing and I actually love doing my own thing and having the freedom and just kind of space to say like, what's today, what's going to happen today? What do I, what do I want this to be? And just dream about 
this new potential of this company that I'm building is very exciting and something that wouldn't have been possible, I think, working for anyone else. So to whoever's listening to the podcast, they might be looking to switch career paths or maybe they're unsure of where to go. And you said you didn't think you were going to start your own business, but you did. What do you think is your biggest advice to someone who is just unsure of what's next for them and and what they're looking for? If people are in the middle or the beginning or, you know, busy with a job search, I would say that it's very important to look inside as much as externally in the job search. And what I mean by that, it's like a design process. Start with intention of almost thinking to the future. What is the role that I want that best aligns with my skills? What is the story that I want to tell? Who are the companies I really want to work for? What are the constraints? Like, what don't I want to do? What do I want to do? Getting as clear as possible, actually, what I've seen in people doing job searches is getting very clear in an intentional way, much like a design process about your own life and career, helps bring those opportunities faster and helps you not waste time on going after things that might be a match, but not necessarily the right job. So it's a combination of visualization and accountability. And what I mean by that is getting very clear on the future state of who and what, who you want to be, what you want to be doing, working backward from there with milestones. I want to tell my story in this way. I'm interested in these types of companies. I'm, you know, my skills and attributes are great for these types of roles. The clearer you get, the more no's you can say, the closer you will get to a yes. And through my coaching practice right now, I'm working with a lot of people on job search projects. And it's really exciting when they start to shape their story more from possibility and intention than just reaction. Because I think with the job search, we tend to get very busy. (laughs) I'm going to work on my resume and answer these, you know, job postings and network and we need again to slow down and just look at why what's the bigger goal what is the outcome we really want and work from there yeah i like what you said about how there's so the all the no's lead to a yes but sometimes i think we cling on to the first yes that we can have and then fight for it you know or or just say yes to that yes but How do you decide if it's the, I know this is a really complicated question, but what's the right yes? It's a great question. I've, I've been talking to folks who feel that they have to take the first yes. And there's a feeling that I'm not, you know, I hear people saying, I'm not sure this is actually the right level or the right scope or the right role, but I'm worried about the market and this, you know, scarcity. And so do I just take it? I think that I can't answer that. It's really individual based on, you know, everyone's needs and where they are. And at the same time, the more clear you get in the beginning of your job search about your criteria and your vision and who you are and the kind of match you're looking for, the easier it will be to when you arrive at the offers that come to say, you know what, this isn't for me. And 
this one actually is, or this isn't exactly what I wanted, but I'm really excited about the company. So I'm just going to take this as a way in. So I would say it's like forward intentional planning so that when you get to the decision point, you already know, because I do, I do know that when people are in that moment of getting an offer, that's a really stressful time with a lot of pressure and it's, you get cloudy. It's harder to make a decision. So I encourage my clients to do as much intentional planning in the beginning of their job search so that every decision becomes much more clear for them. They've already given it the thought. They're almost deciding before. And often that means that they won't pursue an interview to the offer point. You know, it's a, it's a tricky market because there's so much, you know, so many talented people looking and at the same time, the more creative and intentional and clear you can get on, you know, what your superpowers are and the kind of role that you're looking for, the more chances are that you'll find your big yes. Speaking of finding the right yes, then I'm going to lead it back into product <laughs> just because this is a product podcast, but sometimes there can be tension within product and UX because we are all trying to get to the right yes and product things. There's a way to get to the right yes. And then UX things, well, there's this way to get to the right yes. Based on your past experience, how do you think PMs can work better with UX, especially when it comes to getting to the right thing in the company? Any any tips and tricks based on your experience? I would say that the fundamental key foundational piece to any great innovation or great product experience is a cross-functional team that works well together. I've seen this time and again. You can create the best process in the world or have the worst process in the world, and it almost doesn't matter depending on how that cross-functional pod works together. And sometimes it's a triad of UX, PM, and Edge, and sometimes it's a quad that adds research or a, you know, PGM. It, I would reframe your question a little bit just to say, how do you create a cross-functional team that yields the most innovation because of how much they respect and trust each other? And so there's a few principles that I've seen are really important in those teams over time. One is a mutual ownership of the business, that everyone acts like an owner. And what that means is that understanding the business problems we're solving is not just the job of the PM. It's also the job of the UX person. You know, we obviously are there to advocate for the user at the intersection of the user and the business needs. So that's the first thing is everyone is a business owner on that team. Second is respect to share information early and often. It feels really good when you're part of a team that brings everyone along from the beginning of a process, a product launch, so that people can contribute along the way and not be brought in at the end. So there's value in that. And the third is just this idea that diversity yields the best work, diversity of opinion. So creating an environment that is inclusive where all ideas are valued, even if they're different, is very important in that cross-functional pod. My last team on, on Google Shopping, I would say, was my favorite 
cross-functional team I've ever worked on. And there was just so, we had so much fun together. I love, you know, my product partner, Lillian Rincon. She's still working on Google Shopping. She's amazing. And I think that the reason I love that partnership so much is that we were partners. It was a true partnership. And when that's in place, anything's possible. The team can do anything. We're capable of anything. So I would say like another thing when you're looking for a job, make sure you meet your cross-functional partners, right? It's, it's yes, of course you need to love your manager, but managers change all the time, <laughs> especially in big companies. There's lots of reorgs. So yes, yes, your manager, of course, is important, important. And make sure that you meet your cross-functional partners, the people that you're going to be building with day in and day out. And make sure that there's respect and inclusion and curiosity there. You know, I think the, the UX discipline is most valuable when it is a strategic discipline. So back to your question, how can a product partner kind of bring or get the most out of a UX relationship? It's bring them in early for the big business problems. And they will come to that with lots of superpowers. Like I think some of the best ways that UX folks can help in an early strategy phase is to do sketching. Like sketching, for example, during product planning or vision work, the UX team is amazing at sketching what if, what could be possible in this product in a year from now. And often the UX team can visualize or make tangible a vision that is for everyone else, very abstract or just kind of sitting in a dock, you know, sitting in words, the UX team can come in and actually visualize that vision and bring stakeholders in the organization along for the completion of that vision. And so there's a lot of power in bringing UX in early and often. Yeah, I think working with a few of my really strong UX partners have been really helpful in alleviating and almost like being the catalyst of getting us to a solution faster and the right solution too. So I firstly want to thank you for your authenticity and your vulnerability even in sharing the lessons that you've learned and just who you are as a person. And secondly, how can people reach out to you and find you if they want to chat all things UX, coaching, job search, et cetera? Well, thank you, Isabel, so much. It was really fun. I loved your questions. And if anyone wants to find me, you can reach out at designmeco.com, designmeco.com. And my contact information is on the site. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Chloe, for being on the podcast. And it was such a blast. And I'm sure people will be reaching out to you very soon. Thanks, Isabel. And great to chat. And I look forward to the next one already. 